Well, with Mark out preaching the word at Cherry Creek Press, uh, we get to have Kinnan sharing with us today, and it's uh, a real blessing to the community to have guys who can do that. So bravo. That's lovely. The, uh, the uh, text he will be uh, uh, reading from is uh, a rather familiar one in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Morning, everybody. In my opinion, there are two types of people in this world. Those who like to hike and those who prefer to enjoy their lives. <laughs> but if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you'll notice that Jesus was in the first group. He loved the hike. Not only did he preach his most famous sermon on a mountain, creatively named the Sermon on the Mount, but we also see him often escaping the crowds of followers he had to retreat onto a mountain and pray to his father alone. But on one particular occasion, in Matthew 17, Jesus had three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, join him for this usually solitary practice. And they had no idea what they were in for. Because as they reached the summit of the mountain, Jesus transfigured before him. I kind of imagine the moment in Frozen where Elsa lets it go on top of a mountain and her clothes change and she builds a castle for herself. There was no castle, but Jesus did have his, change, his clothes changed to all white and his face start to shine like the sun. At that same moment, the long-dead prophets, Moses and Elijah, appeared out of nowhere and started to have a conversation with Jesus. And this weird encounter and start, started pretty much as quickly, ended as quickly as it began, with a cloud enveloping the entire mountain and the disciples hearing the words, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And as they looked back at Jesus, everything was normal again. Matthew makes it clear that Jesus had a very close relationship with his father. Jesus was the beloved son with whom the father was well pleased. And every time Jesus prays in the gospel of Matthew, he addresses it to his father specifically. So Jesus demonstrates the most intimate relationship anyone has had with the Father in heaven. But since he's the only begotten Son of God, we may be a little surprised when he starts the Lord's Prayer with our Father in heaven. Wouldn't it make more sense if he said, if we said, Jesus is Father in heaven? Or something more respectful like our Creator in heaven? Well, a better question may be, do I have to call him our father? Because father 
is an intimate term. Think about what father means to you. Do you really feel like you have that close of a relationship with God? Do you really feel like God fits that definition? Sure, Jesus can call him father, but let me keep my relationship with God formal. One reason we may want to keep our relationship with God formal is expressed in the hit song, Need a Favor, by Jelly Roll. If you don't believe that's the real name of an artist, you can look it up. He was nominated for a Grammy this year as Best New Artist. And I'm not very familiar with his work. But there is one song that's his most popular, put his name on the charts, and it's called Need a Favor. It's about a man who's on the verge of losing the love of his life. So he prays to God to save his relationship. But in the chorus, he admits that he does not deserve to have his prayer answered. If you want to see it, the quote is on the second page of the worship guide. I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the hell am I? Who the hell am I? to expect a savior. I think one reason for this song's popularity is its relatability. How often do you talk to God without a favor? Aren't we all guilty of only praying when we get desperate? Because when things are going well, we don't need anything. And God falls to the backs of our minds as we celebrate the success that we have brought to ourselves. And that's the kind of guilt that we bring into our prayer lives. We feel ashamed that we don't have a relationship with God. We don't see him as one of our loved ones. We see him as a genie. So no wonder we're uncomfortable calling him our father. But Jesus teaches us to call God father nonetheless. Why? Because his work gave us the right to become children of God. John 1.12 talks about this right of adoption and says that all who believe have the right to become children of God. Paul reflects on it as well in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are blessed to be adopted as sons of God because of Christ's work, and that prompts us to call God Father and Abba, the term for father in Aramaic language. My dad understands this passage better than most. He was adopted into his family. And we don't know much about his biological family. We only know that they had to give him up when he was an infant. But my grandfather is glad that we don't know much about his biological family. That's how he preferred it. Because whenever we were around him, we were not allowed to bring up my father's adoption. Or he would get very upset and tell us, your dad is my son. 
At the time, this confused me. Obviously, he's your son. I'm not asking about that. But I think I understand my grandfather's motivation now. It was of the utmost importance that I understood that my grandfather loved my dad in the same way he would a biological son. Nothing about my dad's adoption made him any less loved. So while my grandfather may have not had the most healthy view of discussing biological families with adopted children, he did have a deep love for my father. And God is the same way. He loves us so much more than we can fathom. He cares for us, and he wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He doesn't want a formal relationship. He wants the relationship of a parent and child that we can bring things to him without fear. He wants us to call him father. Then again, some of us may not want to call him father because we don't want to associate God with our fathers. Your earthly father is far from perfect and not someone on whom you want to base your relationship on God sometimes. He may have never been around to provide your daily bread. His will may have been for evil rather than good. And he's the last person whose name should be hallowed. Whether your relationship with your father is good, bad, or mixed, it is true that all of our fathers are fallible. And even if they wanted to grant our every prayer, they are not able. They are not powerful enough. They can't forgive our debts. They can't bring about God's kingdom. They can't deliver us from evil. That's where the in heaven part of the prayer comes in. In Matthew 4.17, Matthew reveals the center of Jesus' message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Interestingly, Mark and Luke in their Gospels have Jesus talking a lot about the kingdom of God, but Matthew switches that last word to make it the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's the same thing. We don't have to worry about the inspiration of scripture. It's the same thing, but Matthew wanted to point out something important. God's kingdom is heavenly. It's better than earthly kingdoms. His rule is much more powerful and perfect. And so despite the fallibility and incapability of our earthly fathers, we have a perfect, all-powerful father who is the king of heaven. God isn't your earthly father because he's everything your earthly father can be. And for those who don't have fathers, he can fill that role. So to put these two pieces together, why should we pray specifically to our Father in heaven? Because Christ died for us and gave us the right to become children of God. God is our Father, meaning that he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to provide for us that which we need. So we don't have to confess our sins to an angry God. We don't have to ask for bread from a withholding God. We don't have to pray for the will of an evil God. 
or pray for the kingdom of a dictator God. We have a loving, perfect Father who wants to take care of us. And he's not just well-intentioned. He's our Heavenly Father, meaning that he is able to bring about that which we need, all that we need. We cannot expect him to answer our every prayer in the way that we want, but we can expect him to seek what's best for our lives in his kingdom. In light of this, let's return to need a favor. I only talk to God when I need a favor. I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the hell am I, who the hell am I to expect a savior? Jelly Roll expresses a sentiment that is very common. You don't deserve a savior if you don't live well. And the truth is, Jelly Roll is right. He doesn't deserve a savior. But he isn't alone. I don't deserve one either. No one in this room deserves to be saved. But we don't need to deserve it because God gives it to us anyways. God gives us a savior. Because life isn't about doing just enough good deeds to convince God to give us what we want. He's our father. He's our dad. He loves us, and he wants to give us what we need. And that Savior is praying for you, too. If you remember from last semester, we went through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews identifies Jesus as our new high priest, meaning that he is interceding for us in heaven. He's praying for us and advocating for us before the Father. And in the book of Romans, we learn that the Spirit does the same thing. He intercedes for the will of God, helping us in our weakness. When my son Malachi was very little, I used to console him and get him to sleep by singing to him. I'd pick him up, hold him like this, with his hands, his head resting in my palms like he liked, and I would play a song that I could sing along with. But I tried to teach him better theology than Jelly Rolls. So I played one of my favorites one day, Broken Man by Unspoken. It's not a very popular song, but the, the lyrics serve as a prayer to God. With the chorus saying, help this broken man when the road is long. Write in me a melody so I can sing redemption song. Because when push comes to shove, I'll never be enough to make it on my own. Help this broken man's soul. Help this broken man's soul. But on that day, I felt compelled to switch the pronouns and sing on behalf of my son. Help this broken man's soul when the road is long. Write in him a melody so he can sing redemption song. Because when push comes to shove, he'll never be enough to make it on his own. Help this broken man's soul. Help this broken man's soul. Suffice it to say, I broke down crying. I swelled, my heart swelled with love for my son. 
and gratitude that I have a God who loves him more than I do. And as I sung for his soul, praying for his soul, I knew that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were doing the same thing. Within our Trinitarian God, three in one, we have two persons who are praying for us and one who is accepting those prayers and answering them out of his care for us. We are all broken men, but we won't stay that way because we're sons of God. So let us come before our Father with confidence, knowing that his paternal love and his heavenly power lead him to answer our prayers. Let's do that by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.